Hello everyone, I'm Samantha Jane Smith. And I'm Jacob Keynes, and you are listening to the Classical Queer Podcast. Hello everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Classical Queer Podcast. Uh, this week, we're very pleased to have with us Australian composer Matt Webster. Hi, Matt. Hey there. Uh, it's nice to see you. Um, maybe I'll just say a little bit about um, a couple of years ago, I, I heard one of your pieces um, called Cassini, um, which which actually was about the uh, the space probe, the NASA space probe. Um, yes, that's and, correct. And yeah, and that was kind of, this is how I kind of got to know you because um, I, I'm being a space geek, that was kind of the thing that I saw. <laughs> and I started listening to, oh, Cassini, great, fantastic. And 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 hence, I, I've known Matt now probably for, we've probably communicated for a couple of years now, I think, on and off. So uh, it was great. Yeah, I think it's been about three and a half, which is quite impressive. Oh, gosh, really? Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah it's, time flies, doesn't it? Time flies. So, so we'll start today, Matt. Maybe um, what we normally do is ask you to say a little bit about yourself uh, and your background and anything else you'd like the listeners to know. Yeah, sure. Um, so, hello, I'm Matt, as we know. Um, I'm a, a LGBT plus composer from Australia. I've been composing orchestral music since I was about 16, I'd say. So I'm 30 now. I just turned 30 this year. So... Um, just under 15 years. Um, I've never had any formal training or anything like that with composing or music, actually. Um, very much in the self-taught camp, but I think I've had just a, the right series of fortunate events to somehow make a career out of it, which is really exciting. Um, and yeah, that's... I'm not very exciting, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we beg to differ, but sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I find it amazing. I mean, you know, as, as, we, as I always say, anything I have no musical ability. I find it amazing that that somebody who who's had no training and and has, can make a career in in classical music, which is one of the hardest things to have a career in. I find that quite a, quite quite an interesting story in and of itself. I mean, what what were some of the things along the way that got you into this? Um, so, funnily enough, the very first thing that made me ever want to be that got me interested in composing was um, when I was fifteen. I went to the films with my a few of my friends in school, and we saw The Da Vinci Code, which. <laughs> Not a great film, but Hans Zimmer wrote some of the most amazing music for it. And I remember sitting there just being like, oh, I want to do this. And that kind of just, that was the catalyst for everything. Um, I went out, I got a free composing software for the computer and just kind of started. Um, and a year later, I won the under 18 section of an international composing competition. So... <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think that says something about you quite a lot, don't you think? I think it says a lot about it, you know. I do. I think it, it's it's so. Uh, I mean, we're we're always going to talk about the the piece uh, pieces of the sections that we're going to listen to, but um, the first thing I thought of, and and I you know I listen to a lot of music. I listen to like a lot of composers and a lot of new music in uh, in my life, and I was listening, and you know I tend to put things on like passively first like i put them on once just in the background and i let it absorb and then i'll listen to it more early and whatever 
and I was like typing away and I was listening to your to your work and I had to stop and I had to like actually listen on the first run, which to me is like a really good indication that uh, there's like something really complex happening um, because I actually had to like stop and listen on my like my most passive uh, first uh, run of things. But I think it to me sounds um, uh, like you're free of so many different uh, rules that a lot of composers put on themselves. And it just sounds much more uh fluid and uh, you, you go wherever you want to go with your pieces rather than going where it should quote unquote go but i mean but what do you think about that is that like a, a, a like a non-training background type of situation that you were never those things were never imposed on you do you feel like honestly you i wonder i feel like it probably does relate quite strongly to to the lack of training in a way, in that, you know, it's a, a lot of people I know who went to a music conservatory um, that taught the very, very rigid rules first, and that's all drilled into them mm. before they're then allowed to develop their own voice as a composer. So I think kind of missing out on that level and just always writing what I hear or what I feel, um, as you said, kind of creates that level of fluidity into where something can move and those unexpected changes. Um, and of course, the, the subject matter of whatever piece I'm writing at any given time can have a massive impact on that. And we'll get a bit more into that as we, as we go through some of the pieces. But um, just quickly touching back on, on the Cassini piece that um, Sammy was just talking about before. Um, so that was my first ever properly recorded piece uh, by a full orchestra. Um, I, so I'd done a lot of composing with VSTs or smaller ensembles. Um, I built a bit of a career for myself in Australia uh, writing incidental music for theatre. So I've mm. um, had a play that's travelled around Australia that I wrote a score for that was just solo cello. Um, so there was a live cello on stage with the play, which was really cool. Um, but we also travelled to Monaco to perform at the Mondial du Théâtre, uh, which is that international festival of theatre. Mm. And um, the Prince of Monaco came to watch us, which was <laughs> very cool. But, um, and yeah, and so it kind of all has happened really intensely in the far, last like five years or so. Um, I was kind of just doing my own thing, just writing for my own enjoyment. And then, you know, I managed to meet one person who introduced me to someone else who was a director. And then suddenly I was getting all these composing gigs for theatre and all that money started coming in. And so I, was like, you know what, I'm going to hire an orchestra and do it properly. Like, I've always wanted to hear how my music will translate. And I remember, <laughs> um, so that was just a half-hour recording session with the Budapest Scoring Orchestra for the Cassini piece. And um, I remember calling my best friend as soon as it finished at, like, 2 in the morning, basically in tears, being like, it sounded exactly as I imagined. Like you hear wow. horror stories of composers who have written for samples before and they move to a live orchestra and things aren't balanced or they're not playable in the way they thought they were. But that wasn't an issue at all for the Cassini piece and that was just the most thrilling experience to know that my own voice is valid and achievable, if that makes sense. 
<laughs> yeah. So I, I think the I think the thing I loved about that piece was, and I think this is kind of thing I think we'll come back to in your other music, is it's kind of very evocative of the subject you're talking about. Um, for for me, um, as I said, the Cassini piece was Cassini. It was it was almost like it was it, well, it was designed for, but it almost like they went together so well. And it was very evocative of all the things that I knew about Cassini and this kind of thing. And I think I want to use the word, it's almost cinematic in a way, the, the music in the sense that it, it made me think of pictures of these things. So it was kind of an interesting experience. It actually made me think of that. And I think that was kind of a really, really fascinating thing to happen, I think. Um, well, look, first of all, I'm very glad to hear that because <laughs> that's, when I write, that's a lot. I, I, I write, and this has always been something that I've known in the back of my head, I write program music. I don't write absolute music in the sense that every piece I write has a story to tell, even if that story is just an emotion. Um, but it's never just music for the sake of music. I, I think because I fell in love with film scoring when I was younger, that's really influenced. So even though you know a lot of the music I write these days I still consider fit for the concert stage. It's not absolute, uh, you know, early classical kind of orchestral music in the way that it goes. And so I'm, it's really nice to hear that, you know, a piece like Cassini is just so ingrained in that same idea. When you hear it, it, it tells the story so perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's, um, I think that's kind of the message I get from your music is this, you know, is a cinematic background early on. And I can understand also from the theatrical point of view that that's kind of similar. You get this combined with the fact that you probably don't, you don't follow the classical sort of way of writing music. So you tend to get, in my view, a lot of very sort of dramatic, sudden dramatic sort of things, which you don't often, don't always get in some classical music. You know, you could, we're going to build up to a dramatic thing. We know it's going to happen, but you, but you very quickly go from one to the other sometimes. And that kind of throws you off for a little bit, but it's almost like you're watching a film and something's happened suddenly and, and this kind of thing. And that, that I kind of find very, it's, it's a fascinating experience because it gives you that sort of emotional like kick, as it were. Yeah. And that's a lot of the time what I'm going for. That's that really raw emotional feel for people when they listen. Um, I do really enjoy randomly changing direction in music um, because I never, I don't want the listener to not be paying attention, if that makes sense. <laughs> so I, I, <laughs> mm -hmm. I really force them to kind of experience that sudden emotional shift in whichever direction, because as you can know, it can go from really big to really quiet very suddenly. Mm. Um, and you can have a complete melodic and harmonic shift within the space of like 10 seconds which can really capture the people who are listen, listening. Do you, uh, in, in music that you listen to outside of, even if it's orchestral music or film scores, but even like non quote unquote classical, like large C classical music, um, do you listen for that type of thing in other musics, like even pop music or? Not really, actually. <laughs> I, um, but I have, I, I have like such a wide range of stuff that I listen to. So, you know, I'll like 
Um, like my favorite classical composer is Rachmaninoff, purely for the drama side of things that you get there. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely drama, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but, you know, like I really enjoy musical theater because um, mm. it's, again, combining that idea of telling a story and some of the melodies and orchestrations you can get in musical theater are so rich. Like Sondheim yeah. is just, you just sit there and you're in a whole different world and you're just listening to these really rich harmonies. Um, and again, I find that Sondheim very often goes in directions you're not quite expecting. And that's what makes it so exciting to listen to. Um, mm. But then I also like my really basic top 40 pop stuff. So <laughs> I don't think, yeah, I, I just like anything that gives me emotion it doesn't have to be dramatic emotion or anything like that i just i need to feel the purpose of the music for me to like it i think we're gonna hear some pieces from you they're all from uh, a new work that's actually i don't think it's quite out yet is it it's coming out soon but it's called uh is it, is it is it out yet? This this two shall no, pass. No, it's not. <laughs> no, not quite. Yeah, so not quite. It's, it's still not. Still not released. But we're we're working towards that. Yes. Um. So yes, it's yeah. an album called This Two Shall Pass. Yeah. So so maybe you'd like to, it's it's very much a personal story. Um. It, and, yeah. And so yeah. Uh, and so and and it's very much a journey as as I look at it. So maybe you could tell people a little bit about um the story. Uh, and also how, how it came about to, to actually get this piece of music written and, and recorded. Yeah. Um, so the album itself uh, was originally written, I think, oh, goodness, two, three years ago? I can't even remember. Um, but it all makes sense in a second because I'm going to explain the story of the album. Um, it was uh, So I also have a bipolar disorder. Uh, and it's it's quite severe in its presentation and most um, I've been since 18 since I was 18 I've been on a never-ending cycle of medications um, and hospitalizations to try and keep myself alive basically which I know sounds very dramatic but it's also very true um, so uh, three I'm just going to say three years ago. We're just going with three years because I cannot remember. Um, I was hosp uh, hospitalized again, and I went through my very first course of electroconvulsive therapy, um, which, for the listeners who do not know, you're put under a general anesthetic, um, and then uh, electricity is run through your brain to generate a seizure. Um, I'm not entirely sure how it works, other than kind of this idea of resetting the brain. Uh, but it is the only thing that has ever given me any relief from the depression side of, of my bipolar. Um, you know, I've had several suicide attempts and that kind of thing in my life, and I've been hospitalized on average once a year since I was 18, um, which is, it, and it ends up being a significant portion of your life that it disappears. Um, but this album really came through um, that experience of my very first ECT session. Um, going from, I remember walking into the hospital um, and telling the psychiatrist very clearly, I was like, either you give me UCT or I'm going to walk out and I'm going to end my life. I'm done. I'm sick of trying. Um, that's how bad it was. Um, and thankfully they gave it to me. So <laughs> we, we went through that course. Uh, it was a course of nine sessions and it was about two and a half months that I was hospitalized. Um, when I got out, I was feeling the best I'd ever felt in my life. I felt, you know, I had no anxiety. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't manic either. I was just 
normal, which is a lovely place to be. Um, and that's where this album came from. It's, it's the musical journey of kind of being at that very bottom point of one of the tracks at the very beginning is even called This Is The End. And that is very much where that album starts off. And then it kind of, it's a musical journey through going through ECT, starting to recover, and then finding beauty and joy in life again. I, you know, I think that a lot of people out there will be um, kind of astonished that that somebody who goes through so much of this can write such fantastic music. I think that's the first thing because, you know, your struggles of, uh, and I think we've talked with people on here before. I know that that you know we I've struggled with, with all sorts of things, and other people struggle with these kinds of things. But to struggle over the last years and produce such wonderful music, I think, is kind of amazing, at least to me. Um, I, having suffered from depression, not bipolar, but uh, depression myself, I, I was I couldn't function. So I kind of I kind of feel amazing that you've you've been able to take this, and and express it in this way. And and I think that is um, I, I want to say incredible because I I think it really is uh, an amazing ex experience to listen to because you can feel what what you're going through, and I I think that's good. So, so let, let's, because you mentioned the first part, this is the end. Uh, let's take a quick listen to that and then we'll come back and, and continue.
I mean, it's like I said at the beginning, it sounds and I and I I use the word impulsive in like the best possible way that it sounds like you follow your impulse and you just allow yourself to go musically where you want to go to express the thing you want to express, which I think is something that composers spend their whole life trying to figure out how to do. Um, and you've, uh, oh, you said you just turned 30. Like you've, you've managed to figure that out like, uh, like years and years before, like many people figure out how to do that. Um, and so I'm curious what, what your compositional process looks like. So you, you decide like, uh, this first portion, like this, this is the end. You decide your your um, narrowed down topic that you're going to write about, as in this is the the bottom part. How do you then start to translate that into the actual work? I find these questions really tricky because a lot of the time I don't know. It's like I enter a trance and it just kind of happens. Um, you know when I. So I guess if I give you kind of a, an overview, like I'll be sitting at my piano at home and I'll be improvising and something will come up and I'll be like, I like that. I want to take that. So I'll go to the computer. Um, and I actually tend to play most of my music in to Logic Pro first. So I don't start with notation because it slows me down. So I play everything in really roughly and kind of, it's it's so hard to explain because it's like it just exists. It's like I'm discovering something that I already knew was there, if that makes mm -hmm. sense at all. Um, so uh, the orchestration side of some like of writing is something I'll sit there and think about and really focus on getting right. But the the overall like melodic and harmonic development, it's like a puzzle that I knew existed and I'm just rem remembering it which is a very unexciting answer, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's equally as exciting as any any other possible answer. Like, it's really fascinating to think about, uh, like, unearthing something that's already in existence in your head. Mm. It's it's mm. uh, discovering, like, you, uh, to use your words, like discovering something that already exists uh, and just putting it into a form that people can hear that replication is, like, a really um, fascinating thing. Again, it's talking to so many composers and just like living, I mean, Sammy and I talked to so many people and I talked to so many composers in my like work life. There's so much, um, <laughs> there's, and then maybe there's like a, a weird, um, fantasy we've built up about like composers who struggle and scribble on pages and they like try and work things out. And it's so arduous and it's so, uh, like fraught with, um, uh, like creative distress it's really actually quite refreshing to hear that like this is something that you um are able to just the 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 process is just finding a method to like you say the fastest way to get it into a replicatable thing the notation slows you down it's already in existence you need yeah. to get it down faster um and you know it's it's i remember when um talking about the the play that i wrote music for that traveled around i remember um, I am a very mediocre cellist, so I was already kind of, I had a cello at home and knew that I'd be writing for a solo cellist, and I kind of just sat there, and the same thing happened. I came up with a melody, and then from that one, like, 15-second snippet, the whole score just kind of 
mm. came into existence. Mm. It's so, so again, for me, the biggest part is the orchestration, like sitting there in Dorico, which I've now moved to because heck yeah, Dorico. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Dorico. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, thinking about different combinations because I don't, I get really worried that I do the same thing too often orchestration wise. So, you know, when I was working on the recording for this two shall pass, the whole album, there was a lot of the, the, the longest period was just changing it to make it more exciting for a live orchestra. Cause I don't want the musician sitting there being like, Oh, look, 60 bars of a single note. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's something that i i'm really concerned about as a composer because i want the musician to also have fun and there are moments where i i can see that i achieved that because i also got the the video recordings of all the recording sessions um and you can sit there and see the musicians smiling and enjoying themselves as they play it and to me that is the best feeling out of everything mm. Because they would be playing music all the time as their full-time job, their session musicians. They would probably have some stuff that they didn't enjoy, and knowing that they enjoyed my music on whatever level is just really great. <laughs> and musicians are not shy about uh, showing when they do not enjoy something. Oh, they are not. <laughs> Heck, I'm not. When I perform in, you know, uh, I, I did some paid work as a, a, a pit musician for theater as well, because of course I did. Um, me and the other musicians, when we didn't like something, it was very obvious. <laughs> it's never, it's never struck me. And, and this is kind of just comes coming from outside that you would have to write music to please the musicians. I know that sounds kind of a dumb thing to say, but but I kind of never thought of that, really. And uh, it makes a lot well, of sense. I don't sense, think it's a it, dumb thing at all. It's, as you said, it's not something people would think about if they weren't actively a musician or hopefully a hmm. composer. Um, we, we all like our jobs, though. And I mean, I kind of, we all want to have a job which is interesting. So why should musicians be any different? I guess that's what I'm thinking. I, I'd never, yeah, I, yeah. Like, <laughs> I like my job, but I, but why, why, why should they have to? And it kind of, it just never struck me, which is why it kind of seems a bit silly, really. So, <laughs> well, uh, we all learn something new today, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is why we're here. We learn some Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, we learn a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's. Let's move on to the next piece, and maybe you tell us, um, introduce this bit of it. It's called Never Alone. Um, mm -hmm. So we've had the, the sort of the this is the end, which is that the low part, if you like. Of, of, of yeah, this, which, this by journey. the way, quickly, I just yeah. want to pause and say, um, this is the end is fascinating in that it's the second track on the album, and yet emotionally it's the lowest part um, yeah. because we're really showing that journey of. So the first track of this album is called From the Shadows. And that one's kind of just expressing the idea that life could be fine. And then suddenly out of nowhere, you are at the lowest point. And that's so um, I was talking to some, oh, I had a, a interview with a, a Amber, which is the city I live, um, a magazine um, about the album and stuff. Um, and we were talking about this idea that the album starts off at the worst and gets better, mm. which normally, you know, in a film, things would be fine. Then mm. they would go down and then come back a bit. Due to the nature of mental illness, we're dealing with something that is terrible at the beginning. And then we're kind of on an up and up 
with a few drops every now and then. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, yeah. So I just quickly yeah. wanted to explain that to the to everyone as well. No, I think it's I think it's actually a good point to make because I think for people who haven't had a mental illness, this whole thing about, you know, you're going along in your life and you think things are kind of okay and they may be all right, you know, and this and then suddenly it's not. It's 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 the worst of the worst. It's it's so yeah. low and it and happens. It can be so sudden. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it literally can be walking along the street almost and, and then you're sort of, you know, and this kind of thing. So I think that's a really important point to get over, I think, about the nature of, of the mental illness. And as you said, it, the going down can be very quick, but the coming back up is is the, the long bit, as it were. That's yeah. the bit that takes the time. And, and it, as you say, it's, it's the wrong way around for a dramatic, normally for a dramatic <laughs> impact, but, but you're absolutely right here. So, yeah. But I think... Thankfully, in context of the album, it works very well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and just quickly as well, <laughs> um, to say to everyone, like right now, I'm on, I'm back in hospital. I don't know if I already mentioned that tonight, but um, and I just I recorded this album a few weeks ago. Life was objectively perfect, and then suddenly I was back in hospital within a day's notice. Yeah. Um, that's how quickly that this mental illness can can strike people. So. Again, yeah. just giving more context. <laughs> no, I, th I think one of the things that I think is really important here, and I think we've addressed it a number of times, um, I think with, with other composers and other LGBT people as well, is that, is that these things are, are more common than you think. Yeah. I think, you know, people having these episodes. And, and I don't know about you, I'm going to put my own thing out here for mental health here because... And, and it may not be to everyone's liking, but it is a much harder sell, if you like, to people to get help for. And mm. than it is if you have a, a heart attack or you broke a leg or something. That is really easy to get help for. If you have a mental health illness, you can be lucky and get good care. But for a lot of people, it's real struggle to get to get good mental care. And it's a big failure on on systems that we have, I think. That that happens, and that's my soapbox speech for the day. But I think, I think it's, it's really, really important, really important. To, to say that, though. Um, you know, in Australia, we're lucky that we have a government-funded healthcare system. Um, in places like America, I've heard stories, or the US, I should say, to clarify. Um, you know, there is no support if you don't have money, and that's how you end up with you know so many people who are on the streets as well because they cannot live healthily they cannot afford care they cannot work because they're like it it's it's and that also kind of ties into why this project is so important to me it's not just an album about my journey but i'm trying to get the word to people out there who might not know because especially in the classical world mental illness is very looked over um mm. people really downplay it from performance you know, uh, musicians who have it, um, that really look down upon if they're, they're open about it and they don't just get in line and play. So I'm really trying to do my best to create some level of dialogue around that. Yeah. And, and I, I must say in my, my own personal experience, I mean, I've suffered from, um, depression, gender dysphoria for a number of years. And one of the things that I found when I went into, um, a recovery for a while, this was some years ago, was that when I came when I came back from that into work, 
a lot of people treated you differently. It was it was like you had a uh, a contagious disease that you could pass on to somebody just by being in the room. And and if this piece can do anything towards shedding light on that, I think it's done its job, and I really really just hope that succeeds. Anyway, let's get I just want to say I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry that you had that experience. It's no, disgusting. Well, look, we've all had, yeah, and and I think it's, but it's common. I think, and I, I you know, yes. it's it is a common experience, as you said, with musicians, with everybody, that it's a common experience, and we need to get that word out to people that it isn't like that. So, so let's go back to music because people are here to listen to music <laughs> as well. well. We'll take a quick listen to Never Alone. And then we'll come back and you can tell us about that piece, Matt. Thank you. 
Okay, so we've just listened to uh, Never Alone. So, Matt, could you tell us a little bit about this piece, please? Yeah, so this one, we're kind of moving into the beginning of recovery, I guess. Um, so we've, we've come from that very dark point at the beginning. Um, Never Alone is kind of this idea that depression, mental illness, really good at tricking us into believing we don't have anyone so anyone who's had experienced depression knows that really well um you can believe your family are against you 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 don't have any friends um and this piece to me was really just trying to get that that feeling of you, you it's okay to feel like that but it's also not true um mm. there is there are people who are there and supporting you throughout your journey you know, I'm going to say things which are probably just going to support this. I mean, it's absolutely true. You always think you're the only person that can deal with this in that there is nobody who who has any connection to you in any way. Uh, and and I felt the, the piece brought that out nicely. Well, Jacob, what about your feelings on this one? Yeah, it's, I, I think the, we, we talk about the importance of art. We talk about the importance of like what, what it is we're doing. And telling specific individual complex stories is the most important thing that we can do with art and so the ability to share this experience as a uh like a record of your own experience which is important but also as um like a a, a beacon of uh for other people going through similar experience like, that's why we do this this is why we like do art uh, and make music is so that uh we can we can share that with other people and people can have that experience for themselves and it's cathartic on some level for the people to do it and i'm uh, sure i mean you, you you might have thought on that but like i'm sure there's a part of this that um creating this feels like excising some portion of these feelings into a different space that there's um you know laying it bare in front of you feels different than internalizing it that like having the music be present out in the real world is a different feeling than holding that sound and and feeling in but it's it's uh just so genuinely nice to hear backstory and your connection to why you wrote this it is so important to um hear the music because it's lovely and beautiful but to hear why it's lovely and beautiful and complex and rich and um yeah there's really no question there it's just it's nice to uh have you here to explain this and have have you uh, like enumerate why you wrote it and how you wrote it and what each piece uh, takes the listener through, takes you through. Yeah, I am. Um, well, thank you very much, first of all. This is very nice to hear from both of you in kind of how these pieces are already resonating with you. But um, and that's just, such a big thing about this is that, yes, it's my story, but I know it's other people's story and I want them to hear that and feel comfort and know 
that they're not alone. There are so many people on our side. There are people who are trying to do better for mental health support and all sorts of things. Um, and, you know, so I cannot remember. Have we already discussed the Kickstarter or not? No, we, no, no, we were going to get to that in a little bit. But, okay. yeah, let's talk about that no, now. So okay. so this came up, this, this, yeah, tell us about how this whole piece came about to be you know, put, put into reality. Okay, so um, as I said, the, the original album came out, I just looked it up, it came out in 2019. What year are we in now, anybody? 2022. <laughs> Three year, you were right. Three years ago, yeah. Three you years, right. brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Um, just to remind it to all the lovely listeners, I am still going through ECT right now, so if my brain is a bit fuzzy, <laughs> that is why. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was originally released uh, with just sample libraries um, because that's where I was. I hadn't even recorded Cassini yet. Um, I think it happened very shortly after. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so it came out. I was hospitalized two more times, um, and then I think... Oh no, my memory is really fuzzy and I'm so sorry. Um, at some stage, I decided that I wanted to, uh, I started posting quite a bit on TikTok, um, just to try and build an audience. Um, and it started, I started getting some really good reception on there from people. Um, you know, I posted my Cassini piece and a few snippets from the album and there was a lot of talk about people wanting it to be, to hear it recorded live. Um, so I decided to take the biggest risk of my life and launch Kickstarter, which sounds silly, but you know, it's that fear of failure <laughs> that is the, the terror there. Um, yeah, so I launched a Kickstarter a few months ago, uh, to rewrite and re-record this album, basically, um, knowing that I've had three more courses of ECT. It's an ongoing thing for me it's still a big part of my life and it's going to be until I die at whatever age. Um, there is no getting around that. And I really wanted to do it justice and share that story with as many people as I could. Um, and it, it went swimmingly. I met over the target, which was amazing. I don't think I was really expecting it to happen. I think Part of me was like, is this just a manic dream? Like, <laughs> should I be doing this? Is this a bad idea? But it all worked out and, um, and that's how it came through. So then I spent a few months reorchestrating everything because again, it's that idea of live musicians versus what I can play on my laptop. I want to make sure it's fun and enjoyable and rich. Um, and then, yeah, I think, I think it was a month, month and a half ago that we had the recording session and I'm back in hospital, but I've been kind of piecing everything together as I go. And so that's the pieces you've been listening to tonight are from the, the live recording, which is really mm -hmm. exciting. Um, it's mm -hmm. a, a bit of a premiere, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a premiere. It's great. I, I must admit that I think you, you, you underestimate your popularity with the kick Kickstarter. It went like wildfire. I mean, I looked at it a few days, probably a week or so after you sent me a link and it had already shot through the roof and it was just fantastic. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's people realize the importance there of, of what you were doing, Matt. So it was good to see. Which I'm, I'm very thankful for. And I'm so thankful, you know, to everyone who was sharing it and talking about it. Um, and I even got a little bit of, uh, you know, coverage 
in magazines around town and stuff about it, which is good because, again, it's that idea of I'm not just making an album for the sake of it. I'm pushing mm -hmm. for uh, conversations around mental health. And once the album itself is released, 50% of all profits are going to be continuously donated to charities um, in Australia focusing on mental health crisis support um, because it's still really hard to get support when you need it because we're so they're not it's overcrowded basically <laughs> as i'm sure all mental health systems across the world are after the last few years it's yeah so i mean it certainly touched a nerve with people because i saw some of the comments on the kickstarter and also just you know people that i talked to and i saw on various things and this kind of thing i think it it caught the imagination of people who wouldn't normally listen to classical music or be interested in it because of the content of it. And I think, again, we come back to the importance of the content, I think, to people. And I think that, you know, I guess we're running this theme through it here, that that's the key <laughs> thing here is that is that the, the you know, it, it is such an important topic and such an important subject. So, so I think that's, that's, that's fantastic. So, so with, with, with Never Alone, we've got over this idea. And I must just say to, 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 to listeners that we're playing five little extracts, but there's, there's a lot of it missing. So it, it is kind of an early stage listening to it, and there's lots of other parts in it. So we're sort of skipping along the, the journey here. Um, and the next part is we're going to listen to is This Too Shall Pass, which is, of course, the name of, name of the, the whole album. So, um, so we've moved along the journey here a little bit further, Matt. Um, yeah. So this, We've, I mean, in running order, this is the very next track after um, Never Alone. But this is, as you said, the title track. And it's also kind of our midway point of, I guess, that acceptance of, of knowing, sure, things are terrible and I feel like I would rather be dead right now. But I've also, you know, we can tell from past experiences that these emotions will pass. And that's something that's really important in psychology. Um, it's spoken a lot, um, especially with things like bipolar, in, in knowing that your emotions now aren't forever. So being able to kind of talk yourself through that, which not, is not always successful, obviously, because when you're severely suicidal, for instance, it doesn't matter if you're going to say, I'll feel better in two months. Right now, you, your brain is telling you to die. And that is a horrible place to be. Um, I don't think there's any way I could write a piece that could fix that, but at least, you know, this too shall pass is just trying to get through a minute at a time and just surrendering to trying to get better because that's all you mm. can do. I think what you said there about getting through a minute at a time is kind of the important bit here. It's, it's, it's like when you're in this mood, you can't look for, I mean, it is impossible to look forward, especially if you're suicidal. You can't, I mean, you're not, you're not looking. So just getting through the next few seconds is, is kind of key. If you can survive the next second, then you've got the next second and you can, it's almost like you're breaking time down into these little tiny chunks just to get through. Yeah. And that's something I've had to do a lot in my own life. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, count out 15 seconds and try and make it through. And then, you know, you make it through enough. Hopefully, you know, whatever medication you're on will either send you to sleep and you won't have to fight all that moment. 
or you'll be taken, you'll see your psychologist, you'll get support in whatever way it is. Um, but just, it's so important because people aren't told it very often, which sounds silly as well, but that idea of just trying to get through the smallest time you can and just mm. surrendering and accepting something that I've, I've been learning recently, um, you know, as I continue my own psychology um, to work through my own thoughts, which is, you know, still important. I still get ECT, but um, having a psychologist is still important. Having care workers is still important. Um, and it's that I, it's um, this theory of acceptance of your emotions. So saying, yes, I feel like dying right now, and that's okay. I don't have to act on it, but I'm allowed to feel that way, and feeling bad about that is only going to make me feel worse. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that's what this track is really about. It's that acceptance and kind of just trying to get through without any expectations of getting better or worse. Just existing okay well let's take a take a listen to that um this is this too shall pass
Okay, so that was uh, This Too Shall Pass. Um, let's move on again through the journey a little bit. And the next bit we're going to talk about is a, is, a, is a next, I don't think it's the next part in the sequence, but it's called First Light. So uh, a little bit about that for us, Matt, please. Uh, funnily enough, it is, again, the next <laughs> in the okay, sequence. I, I, Sorry about that. I've, I've, um, so, yeah, so this piece really is written for a very, very specific moment in my own um, recovery. So during my very first course of electroconvulsive therapy, um, we were about five courses through. I just had my session for that morning. Um, I'd come back to, I was sitting outside the hospital grounds having a smoke and a coffee. It's who I am, don't judge me. Um, and the clouds parted and I felt the sun. And I felt the sun properly for the first time in about six months. So you, you, you said you've experienced depression, Sammy, so you might know that kind of everything's subdued. You don't notice weather as much. You don't feel warmth. You, you're just a shell. But for this moment, when the clouds parted, it was, it was like I'd never experienced being in the sun before until that moment. Like it was so, I can still remember how warm and rich it was. And that was the moment that I was like, wow, things are starting to, to improve. And th that, this piece is based very explicitly on that one moment. Mm, wow. When you were writing um, this whole music, as we said before, you kind of it all kind of comes out of your 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 head in a sort of like um just just a continual fashion, as it were. But, but how much planning of a whole structure did you do? I mean, was it like okay, I, I'm going to work this way through the journey, or was it just kind of like just came out and you knew what it was going to be like? It's actually a very good question. I a little bit of combination of both. Um, so there was kind of, when I decided that this was what I was writing and what the overarching thought was for it, I, um, I'd kind of come up with a rough idea of the, the general emotional level of the story, if that makes sense. So like a really rough idea of, you know, we start, okay, we drop really quickly and then we slowly build up with a few extra drops. Um, something like first light. Uh, when I wrote it, it was um, actually one of the first things I wrote for it. And it was very, again, it was, I knew from the moment that I was writing it what, what it was and where it fit. So I kind of took key moments. So things like This Two Shall Pass, uh, First Light, um, and One Last Time were the first ones written. And they kind of provided that. I guess, really rough idea of where everything fit. And then I fit things in between that. <laughs> From a perspective of your personal journey here, you, you've kind of had this experience of, I'll say euphoria. I, I don't know if it is or not, but when, when you had this first light experience, do, do you kind of take that feeling as, as and and hold on to it as as where you are trying to get back to i mean is it kind of like a a, a place or feeling that you're always you know working towards does that make sense it does make sense i i'm not sure if i do though i, I because you know 
my concern is if I, I lock onto one specific feeling, if I'm not feeling that, I'll feel like mm. I'll be battling myself that, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not well enough yet kind of thing. Um, it's more kind of just that general feeling of feeling warmth and happiness. So, mm. you know, today I experienced sun again, which was really nice. Mm. It wasn't as much and it wasn't as expansive, but it it's those smaller clues that I'm starting to make progress back into a well wellness state. I think, I think this is the thing that is really difficult to, to, to get over to people, I guess, is, is how complicated an issue this is. I know maybe it isn't, but, but it is kind of like, you know, this, this idea that, you know, um, oh, you can think about, this and it'll be fine. You know, it's almost like it's, it's, uh, I don't know, I'm maybe I'm uh, not explaining this very well, but people tend to think you can just think yourself better. If you know what I mean, does that make sense? I'm not sure I'm saying that in the right Absolutely. way. Absolutely. And it's, yeah, you know, that's, I mean, I have that issue with um, my father, for instance, he is not particularly savvy when it comes to mental health. So for a long time, he thought I was just lazy or just didn't want to do anything kind of thing um mm. and you know just to get really dark for one second um the very first time i made a full suicide attempt and was hospitalized he came he and my mother were on holidays they came to visit and i think that was the moment that it actually clicked for him mm. but it's just it was really frustrating that it took me making yeah. a a strong attempt on my life for someone to realize, oh, mental health is serious. Um, yeah. Again, that's why I'm so open about what I go through now because I want people mm. to know that it's okay to talk about it, to feel it. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think one of the issues there is, I mean, I, I actually, I mean, I'm, I'm passing on somebody's experience that that I know of that, that the response of people when they actually uh, tried to commit suicide was, oh, you're an attention seeker and, and you're just doing it to get attention. And, and I kind of feel is there's a, there's kind of this story that's grown up around mental illness that it is like you're doing a, oh, look at me. I, I'm, I'm so ill. I need help kind of thing. And I, 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 I kind of find that very disturbing that, that people act yeah, that way. Absolutely. Yeah, and as you said, you had to, you know, you were driven to despair and, and it was only right at the last minute that people actually realized that. And I think that is a, is a really, we're getting very dark here. Jacob, take us out of a little bit of darkness here. And, <laughs> well, and I mean, I, I'm happy to, but like you say, Matt, it, it's, it is the nature of, I mean, there is darkness. I mean, the world is, is uh, like a, a weird and complicated place and it's not that, uh, you don't feel these feelings that this is why you wrote the piece. This is where you mm -hmm. uh, have sat uh, at different times in your life. And so, I mean, I could, I could sure, but like, it, it's important to like, that's <laughs> why, that's why the piece exists. Like you say, it's about yeah. um, being frank and honest and clear and upfront about the complexities that a lot of people go through. And it doesn't help anybody to, shy away from it or hide it or sweep it under the rug or uh it's not uh, gonna make it go away for anybody and so why would we uh pretend like it doesn't exist and pretend that 
uh, people are going through intense struggles and a very real need for help. Um, I again would say the uh, the beautiful thing about music is that it brings uh, like a nuance and complexity to that conversation that we can then mm. listen to something that is complex and robust and beautiful and colorful and really to verbiage to the to the, the struggles that uh, are often so hard to define. You know, it's so hard to talk about what it is people with mental health struggles are feeling in the sense of like, how do you name that? How do you, how do you put a word to that? There may not be a word, but there is music. There is yeah. <laughs> sound and color. Um, and so we should. And we I, should think that, I think that I think that introduced that piece of music brilliantly, Jacob. Sorry, I interrupted you there. I think you've you've led us into first light, so that's that's fantastic. We'll take a listen. We have one more to listen to, Rise Above. Um, and I, I, I have a feeling, I, I know the sentiment that you were you were writing from, but tell us about Rise Above. I think the title is very good at giving an idea of, of what we're going through with Rise Above. Um, so we're, we're moving into kind of the final third of the album, which, um, again, isn't the album is not a continuous up. There's, there's a few dips. So we have 
Rise Above, and then a track called Sacrifice, and then One Last Time, which is a very, very big dramatic, uh, also the longest track on the album. But um, Rise Above is all about that idea of just being the best you is how I want to put it, because I don't want to say being better or being good. Just the best version of yourself, I think, is is really what I wanted to get across there. Um, because yeah, it feels it feels wrong to tell someone to be better mm. if you if you understand what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but you can always you can always strive to be the best version of yourself, and that's that's something that I'm really working on, and that's what Rise Above is about. It's about taking yeah, I have all these struggles. I mean, you know, I'm back in hospital again this year. I was already in there in March, but I'm taking all the steps I can to be the best version of myself and keep pushing forward and Funnily enough, the track was originally called Keep Pushing Forward and then we moved it to Rise Above. So it all kind of, it all works in my head. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I think that, that gives a nice idea. It's, maybe it's uh, me like, uh, ascribing something that does or doesn't exist in your music and uh, we talked about fluidity and kind of harmonic uh, directions that it goes, but but connecting it to the non-linear path of uh feeling your best self that it is up and down that it's sometimes really divergent that it sometimes goes in places you don't think it's going to go and suddenly um you know i think living that non-linear path to being as well as you can be for you is Exemplified in your music, there is, again, there's a really beautiful, honest fluidity about where your scores go. Um, and I wonder, I mean, maybe we've been circling around it and we've been talking about it, but like, do you think about that as you write? That you're, um, I mean, you, you're writing from a, you're telling a story. You say that you want to always have your music. Um, tell the story that you wanted to tell when you're actually writing and sitting down, even if you're not aware, you go into that trance state. Like, are you, are you putting that on paper intentionally or is that like a happenstance of just the way you write? I think it's just a happenstance, which is a very disappointing answer, but, um, yeah, I I honestly don't know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, fair enough. It's it's maybe a maybe a question that like can't be answered either. But like, I think there's um, I mean, when I write, it just it needs to be honest to myself, and that's that's where everything comes from. Like, I think there are times there are, I have a lot of unfinished pieces. Um, especially, you know, stuff that was written for the album that never made it because for whatever reason, it wasn't truthful enough for me. Um, which making people understand that about instrumental music can probably sound very weird. Um, cause it's not like you're writing an autobiography and you need it. You know, the words are very, very explicit about what you're discussing. But when I'm writing, if something doesn't feel truthful, or emotionally honest, I, I I never finish it. 
I just give up mm-hmm. because I know that it's not what I want it to be. And it's never going to, no amount of tweaking is going to get it to that because the starting point was unhonest. Mm. I, I kind of thought that this is your autobiography though, isn't it? I mean, it's the musical autobiography. I mean, essentially no, that, that's, you know, it is that, that, yeah, I mean, it is that, it is your autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it, it is, it isn't, it isn't, um, uh, somebody else's story. It's not a made up story. It is actually you. And this yeah. is what this is coming out. Like of it's you. A, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not an amalgamation of other stories. It, it's one yeah. very specific story that unfortunately yeah. for me just keeps repeating due to the nature of my illness. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it is, it is entirely mm. truthful of myself. And that's why the tracks, you know, once you sit there and listen to the full album, hopefully you'll be able to, you know, the listeners will be able to experience exactly what's happening and understand this interview in far more context. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Just because every track leads through the story, I think, in a very honest and deep way. I think an interesting thing that I, has kind of just occurred to me a little bit here is, is that as we're talking, you know, we've, we've talked about personal story and all that kind of thing. But I actually think you've captured a lot of other people's stories at the same time, not, not, just, not just people with the same um, 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 been bipolar and this kind of thing, but people with depression, people maybe in poverty. I mean, I think there's a, I think you've kind of captured, I don't want to say a basic tenant of humanity. That sounds a bit pompous, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, <laughs> it, it's kind of like you, you, you've captured a, uh, something there that is a, for me, a little bit deeper than just, uh, it's your story is deep enough, but it's almost like you've captured something else there, which I think is, is, why I think this will appeal to a lot of people. It's, it's, it's in a way, it's a lot of people's stories that are, that have different experiences. Honestly, I hope you're correct because I think the most important thing to me is having people, um, why can I not find the word I'm looking for? Relate, really relate Mm -hmm. to my music. This album is, so important you know that's why the kickstarter a lot of the comments as you said sammy on the kickstarter people who either had their own mental health journeys or just related to music in in some way um and i can't wait i I really cannot wait for the the full release of the album and to share it with people and you know if nothing else remind them that they're not alone in what they go through so People want to listen to it, Matt. When is it coming out? Do you think? I mean, I know you probably can't give a definitive answer. And and how do they get to listen? Um, so, <laughs> good question. <laughs> uh, I'm still not a hundred percent sure of exact date, unfortunately, just because of everything going mm. on with my own current hospitalization. Um, on October the third, so in two Mondays away, uh, First Light is being released as a single that will be on all streaming platforms. Um, so people can go and listen to that. Um, there's also, um, will be a few snippets and things put up, um, both on my Facebook and my, uh, YouTube composer page. So that's just Matthew J. Webster composer. Um, and then once I know the direct date of the album, I will let you, I will let you guys know as well. And we'll go from there, but 
yeah, unfortunately, just it was it was supposed to be a much easier release. Wasn't expecting to be back in hospital. Is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's keeping the tension up for the release, so that's kind oh, of oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking the time with with all Guys, the things that are going on. Um, it's been thank a real you so pleasure. much. I've had a wonderful time. It has been excellent speaking to you both. So thank you. Thank you. It was so nice to meet you. And I can't wait for everybody to hear your music. I'm so thrilled. Thank you. And we'll, of course, and we'll of course play out with um, Rise Above. So here's Rise Above by Matt Webster from the album This Too Shall Pass, which hopefully we'll see fairly soon.
So that's all for this episode. You've been listening to the Classical Queer Podcast and Jake and I look forward to being with you next month. The incidental music is courtesy of Jared Miller and the show was produced by Samantha Jane.